But I'm going to talk to you today about expressive worship, expressing your worship to the Lord. Now, Matthew, did you, where did I tell you to turn? I don't want you to turn to Matthew 2, but since you're already there, I'll show you a scripture. <laughs> I was just going to quote this one. Uh, Matthew 2 is the story of the wise men. We read it last week. Verse 11. Matthew 2:11 says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. I want you to notice the last phrase of that first sentence. They fell down and worshipped him. It doesn't say they worshipped him in their hearts. It says they expressed their worship to him by falling down, by bowing down, by prostrating themselves before the Lord. So that's what we're talking about. When they came to worship Jesus, they didn't just come and worship with their hearts. They fell down. They expressed their worship. Now, many people would ask the question, well, can't I just worship God in my heart? The answer is yes, you can. But you really shouldn't. And I'm going to tell you why. When you say, can't I just worship in my heart, or when most people ask that question, what they're really asking is, can't I worship with just my heart? Or can't I worship with only my heart? Why does the rest of me have to worship also? Can you imagine if during worship, normally, you know, we have the choir up here this week, but normally we have the... Uh, Pastor sitting over here on this side of the platform. We have chairs here. Now, can you imagine for the entire time of worship, when Pastor Thomas is up here, the whole worship team, and you're all standing up and you're worshiping, can you imagine if I sat, instead of stand, if I sat over here and, and just sat here like this for the whole time of worship? That's all I did, just... And so you'd probably come up to me after the service and say, well, uh, Pastor Robert, how come you don't worship when everyone else is worshiping? Oh, I, I'm worshiping in my heart. Now, let's talk about that. The Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, period. Oh, it goes on. With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. See, we need to understand something. You are three parts. You're one person, but three parts. Your spirit, soul, and body. And what we're saying is, well, can't I just worship God with just my spirit and not my soul and not my body also? Why? Would you only want to worship God with one-third of you? All of me should worship because all of Him is worthy. Let me say that again. I should worship with all of me because all of Him is worthy. And I should express my worship with... I should get my soul involved. My mind, my will, and my emotions. And my body which that Scripture says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's your body. I, I use my body to express affection to my wife. I might put my arm around her. I might kiss her. I might even 
kiss her in church if I want to. But I also use my body to express other things. I use my body to express appreciation when a football team makes a touchdown. Now, if I can use my body to honor a football team, I can definitely use my body to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that right? I can get my body involved. Now, if you don't express your worship, maybe like others do, that's okay. I'm not putting you down. I'm not putting you down. I just want you to understand the reason we express our worship at Gateway Church. It is not because it is expected of non-denominational churches to clap and to shout and to sing and to lift hands and to dance. We do not do it for that reason. The reason we worship the way we do is because it's biblical. The expressions that we use to express our worship are biblical expressions. And I'm going to show you those today. Now, I'm not talking about distracting worship. I'm talking about expressive worship. How many of you were here last week? Okay, I'm not going to do aerobics boy again. If you weren't here, you just missed it, all right? But we talked about people who are distracting in worship. That's not what I'm talking about. Most people who are distracting in worship are distracting for one of three reasons. They're either trying to draw attention to themselves because of insecurity, or they find their identity in worship in expressing their worship. That's their identity. Or thirdly, they just don't know. And if you don't know, I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll, take, I'll tell you what distracting worship is. And let me explain something to you. If you're doing it to draw attention to yourself, or you're doing it because you find identity in your expression of worship, you're missing the whole point. Because worship is not about you. It's about Him. So I don't believe in distracting worship, but I do believe in expressive worship. And I believe in expressing our worship the way the Bible says. So that's what we're going to talk about today, all right? Here are six expressions of worship in the Bible. Number one is clapping. Now, the problem is that many of us do this, and we don't know why we do it, and we don't know why we're supposed to. We don't just clap because we like the song Thomas chose. We don't just clap because he finished the song he chose, and now it's time to clap. There's a reason in the Bible that we clap. And there are actually two biblical reasons for clapping. The first one, most of us do not know. The second one, we do. The first one is derision. Derision. It is a biblical reason. Derision means that you have a valid reason to mock someone. It is not an unvalid. It's not making fun of them because there's no reason. You have a valid reason to scorn them. And let me explain that to you. Let me just show you a couple of scriptures. Job 27, 23. This is talking about the wicked man. It's talking about the wicked man. Men shall clap their hands at him, deride him. And they shall hiss him out of his place. And in Nahum 3.19, in talking to the king of Assyria, it says, Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. In other words, they will deride you with scorn. They have a valid reason to mock you or scorn you. When a city went out to conquer another city, they sent their warriors out to conquer. And the men who were not warriors and the women and children would stay home. 
They would go out and conquer that city, and then they would literally take captives of the men they had conquered or the people they had conquered, and they would bring them back to be their slaves. And when they would bring back these slaves, these men and women, this city that they had conquered, those in the city who didn't go out to war would line up at the gate of the city, and as these captives would walk by, they would clap, in essence saying, we have a valid reason to scorn you or to mock you because we conquered you. We overcame you. You are now our servants. We overcame. Now, everything I'm saying up here, I want you to understand it, and I want you to already be thinking ahead of me in spiritual terms what's it, what this represents. And then as their army would come in conquering, they would applaud because they were honoring them and they were rejoicing in the victory. And that's the second reason for clapping in the Bible, and it's rejoicing. Look at Psalm 98, verse 8. Psalm 98, verse 8 says, Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together in the Lord. Joyful. And Isaiah 55, 12, a scripture many of you are familiar with because we sing it in a song. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field, spiritually referring to us, will clap their hands because we're joyful. So, and let me explain to you what joy, rejoicing is. Rejoice comes from the word joy. Rejoice means to express or demonstrate your joy. When you rejoice, you demonstrate that you're joyful in your heart. You express that. You let that joy come out. And the word uh, and joy is deep happiness. It's not just surface happiness. It's deep happiness. So when we clap our hands in church, you have to understand there's a twofold purpose. We are clapping in derision over the enemy. We have a valid reason to scorn him because our Savior went out and fought the battle for us and he won the battle and we're telling the enemy, we have conquered you through the Lord Jesus Christ and we're applauding the Lord as he's coming back from battle telling him, you won the victory and we honor you. So our clapping has a twofold purpose. We're telling the enemy we have victory and we're telling the Lord we honor you because you're the one that got the victory for us. Shouting. Here's the second biblical expression of worship. Shouting. Let me show you a few scriptures. Psalm 47, verse 1. It takes right off from what we just talked about. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. How many of you are peoples? Okay, so this verse is talking to you. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. I want you to notice what shouting represents. Shouting represents victory or triumph. Look at Exodus 32, verse 18. Moses and Joshua are coming down off the mountain, and they hear a noise. And they say, well, uh, it's not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So they knew that shouting represented victory, crying represented defeat. What We shout, why? Because we have the victory. And let me show you another scripture. Galatians 4.27 says, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and... What? Shout, you who are not in labor. 
for the desolate has many more children than those who has a husband. You know what this says? If you're not pregnant and you won't have children, shout. If you're not in labor yet, but you want to be blessed with children, shout. In other words, shouting is declaring victory sometimes even before it happens. The way they took the first city in the promised land was God told them, you know the story about Jericho, to march around it seven times, one time a day for seven days. Then on the seventh day, march seven times around it. And then, even before the walls fell, what did he tell them to do? Shout. And they shouted, and the walls fell. But they shouted before. This is something we need to understand at worship. And you're going to see this in every, every expression of worship. Worship is an expression of our joy and an exercise of our faith. Please hear that. If you want to write that down, write down, because it's very important. Worship is an expression of, a, of our joy and an exercise of our faith. Everything we do in worship, we do by faith. It's before it ever happens. We shout. Now, let me ask you something. That brings up a a subject. Should I worship even when I don't feel like it? Well, I came up with the top five reasons to worship even when we don't feel like it. All right? Letterman gets ten. I only got five. So we're just going to go with the top five. Here's the number five reason to worship even when we don't feel like it. Number five, we worship by faith. We worship by faith. See, he told them to shout before the walls fell. He told the barren woman to shout before she was pregnant. We live by faith. We worship by faith. We pray by faith. We sing by faith. We shout by faith. We clap by faith. It's all by faith. The Christian life is by faith. So you worship before it happens. Even though whatever you're praying for hasn't happened, you go ahead and worship because we worship by faith. Number four, feelings should not dictate our actions. Principles should. Feelings should not tell me whether or not to worship God. If I lose my job, is God still in control? If the stock market goes down, is God still going to take care of my retirement? Absolutely. So when I come to church, I don't... They say, well, I'm up this week or down this week or I had a bad week or a good week. I didn't spend much time in prayer. I fell to that sin. I said I'd never fall in again, so I I just shouldn't worship. No. Feelings do not dictate our actions. Principles do. Here's the third reason. Praise is a command. Now, we just read a verse. Psalm 47, verse 1 said, Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. In a moment, we're going to read a verse that says, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Now, I have to take a break for a grammar lesson. There are many types of sentences. There are interrogative sentences. Don't, lo- don't, don't leave me. And an interrogative sentence does what? Ask a question. Good. There's an exclamatory sentence. There's all sorts of sentences. Will you tell me, clap your hands, shout to God, lift up your hands, bow down when you come into His presence, kneel before the Lord your God, your Maker. Will you tell me what kind of sentences those are? Imperative. And an imperative sentence is a command. 
You're, you're not quite catching it yet. God commands you to praise Him. It's a command. Now, this is very difficult to preach to Americans because we don't like commands. We don't like people telling us what to do. But people tell us what to do all the time. If you're married, you get told what to do all the time. That's just normal. Matter of fact, I'll just help you. Ladies, I'll help you. First of all, let me share with some men. These are not questions. These are not suggestions. These are commands. Take out the trash. That's in the imperative form. That is a command. Turn down the game. That is a command. Pick up your clothes. That is a command. Now, I shared three for the, for the ladies' benefit. Ladies, I'm only going to share one. This is a command, ladies. Write down the amount in the checkbook. That is not a suggestion. That's a command. Okay, all right. All right. There's a command in the Bible. The Bible says, praise Him. Praise Him. It's a command. Here's the second reason. It's being true to who you really are. It's being true to who you really are. See, the devil tells us the opposite. He told Eve, if you'll eat this, you'll be more like God. She was already like God. He's always lying and he's telling us the opposite. This is what he tells Christians. This is what he tells believers. If you worship today, after what you did this week, you're a hypocrite. Listen to me. Let me tell you the truth. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something he is not. So what are you? You're a believer. You're a Christian. That means you're a worshiper. So if you come to church and don't worship, you are a hypocrite. That's being hypocritical. You're being hypocritical when you come to church and you've been saved and bought by the blood of the Lamb and you don't lift your hands to Him. Because that's who you really are. You really are a worshiper. Whether you, whether you know it yet or not, you are. So that's the number two reason. It's being true to who we really are. Number one reason to worship even when we don't feel like it is, He is worthy. He is worthy. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you've had a good day or a bad day or a good week or a bad week, God is worthy. So, clapping, shouting, and here's the third expression of our worship, singing. Now, I was going to tell you a moment ago to turn to Psalm 95. I'll, I'll let you get to it. It's real easy to get to. It's right in the middle of the Bible. Just open up your Bible in the middle. It'll probably open up right to Psalm 95 if you're perfect. If not, then just flip a few pages. Psalm 95, verse 1. Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And then look at Psalm 96, verse 1. O sing to the Lord an old hymn. Is that not what it says? I'm sorry. Sing to the Lord a new song. And listen to me, there's nothing wrong with hymns. What's wrong is when they're not life to you anymore. And you go to church and you sing, but you don't even think about what you're singing. Because some of the hymns are great. But the church got in a rut and we needed some new songs. 
Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. By the way, what form is this? are these statements? Commands. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And Numbers 21, verse 16 is an amazing verse. When we talk about singing and worshiping by faith, Numbers 21, verse 16, they're going through the wilderness. They come up. It says, from there they went to Be'er, not beer, Be'er, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well. All of you sing to it. Now what happened was they're coming through the wilderness and they didn't have water. They're in a desert. And God decided, I want to teach them a lesson. And so they come up to a well. He says, go to this well. They say, but Lord, the well is dry. There's no more water. It's been dry for many, many years. God said, yeah, well, i got a plan to get it to produce water again. And he says, you tell Israel to gather around it and sing to the well. Spring up. Oh, well. Well, I, I got a question for you. Do you have some dry wells that you need to sing over? Do you have some barren wounds that you need to shout over? Sing to the well. Spring up, oh well. Think about it. You ought to sing to whatever it is that's not producing the way you want it to produce. Hey, I got something you can sing over. How about your checkbook? <laughs> spring up, <laughs> please. Spring up, oh well. Sing to the barren places, sing to the dry places, sing to the sick places in your life. Spring up, oh well. Go ahead and worship. You can read this later. Just write the reference down. It's a whole chapter, so we're not going to go through it. But 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, they have a, a many nations. Israel has many nations coming against them. Several different nations. And they say, oh God, what are we going to do? There's a bunch of them. What are we going to do? And God says, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to get your worship team and put them on the front line of your warriors. I want you to get your singers and your musicians and put them on the front line. And when I tell you, sing. Now, they got nations in camp. Now listen to me. This sounds like a fairy tale. This actually happened. They're going to war. They got men out there with swords and, and spears. And they put their singers on the front line, and God says, okay, sing. And they started singing and walking toward those nations. And they're worshiping and praising God. And the Bible says when they begin to worship and praise the Lord, God sent confusion in the camp of the enemy, and they began fighting against each other. And when Israel came up over the hill, those nations had fought each other and killed everyone. No one survived. And the last two dudes stabbed each other at the same time and fell down. And Israel comes up over the hill and the, all these armies are laying dead and all Israel did was keep on singing and picked up the silver and picked up the gold and turned around and sang all the way home. Now that's the way to fight a battle. Is that right? They worshipped and they won the battle. By the way, you can look at this reference later too. In Hebrews 2, it says that Jesus sings with us in the congregation. 
Jesus himself, when we, when, right today, when we were singing, when Pastor Brady got up here and said, he's with us, when Thomas said, he's with us, they weren't lying. He was right here with us singing to the Father. So that's the third expression. The fourth expression is bowing down and kneeling. Are you, are you still in Psalm 95? Look at verse 6. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Bowing down and kneeling represents submission to authority, whether willingly or unwillingly. It represents submission to authority. And the reason I said unwillingly is because one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, my question for you is, one day you're going to bow, so why not now? I mean, you're going to bow one day anyway. What would be wrong when we're worshiping the Lord if you just want to bow down where you are? And say to him, see, that's what the wise men did. The reason they knelt, the reason they fell down before this baby, before this toddler was that they were saying, we recognize that your authority is greater than ours. Was it wrong for these wise, wealthy kings to bow down to a toddler? No. Well, would it be wrong for you to bow down to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? No. It's an expression of our worship. See, most people know that Satan wanted Jesus to worship him. He tried to get Jesus to worship him. But what we don't realize is that Satan understood that true worship is expressed. Look at this verse, Matthew 4, 9. Then Satan said to him, All these things I will give you if you will what? He didn't say, all these things I'll give you if you'll worship me. He said, all these things I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. See, Satan understood that true worship is not just in your heart. That you need to express what's in your heart if you're really worshiping God. So he said, you know what, Jesus, I'll give you all this. Because I got it from Adam. You know, y'all gave it to Adam, and I got it from him. And I'll give all of it to you. If you'll fall down and worship me. Of course, Jesus didn't what he what he didn't say, but he was he said, I'll give you all this. Jesus was thinking, I'm about to get it back anyway, Buster. You just don't know it yet. Kneeling represents adoration and honor. We kneel before someone we adore. We kneel before someone we honor. Hey, if you were in a in a restaurant, let's say you're in a nice restaurant one night. And here's a, a young couple seated to your right over here, you know, maybe your early 20s or something. And, and all of a sudden you see the, the man stand up, go around beside the table, and kneel down. You know what he's about to do, don't you? He's going to ask for money. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he's going to propose, right? But why is he kneeling? Because he's honoring her. He's showing her, I kneel before you because I honor you and adore you. Of course, when I was preparing this message, and I also had kneeling represents submission. That comes after the wedding, though. Here's the fifth expression of our worship. Lifting up your hands. Most of us think that lifting up your hands represents surrendering, and it does. It does. 
And there's nothing wrong with lifting up our hands in church saying, Lord, we surrender to you. That's okay. You know, I, I have a friend, and uh, he's been in worshiping churches for years. He went to another country, and in the city where he was, there was a, a church that was more of a traditional church, uh, but they were learning about worship. And he said, I went to that church, you know, and he said they were beginning to lift their hands, beginning to clap, beginning to express their worship to the Lord. He said, everyone except the pastor. And he said, he just, he just will not lift his hands. He said, I just, I feel so sorry for the guy. You know, I mean, he just can't do it for some reason. He said, I, I just, I feel so bad for him. I guess if he's ever in a holdup, they're just going to have to shoot the guy. <laughs> because he will not lift his hands for anything. Now, isn't that sad? Some, the only way you can get some people to lift their hands is put a gun on them, you know. What does lifting hands represent, though, in the Bible? Uh, look at Psalm 63, verse 4. Psalm 63, verse 4 says, thus I will bless you while I live. Now, I just want you to notice something. When did David say he would bless the Lord? While he lived. Listen to me. You're going to worship in heaven. Why don't you go ahead and worship now, though? Thus I will bless you. Notice the word bless. While I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Notice the word bless. Look at Luke chapter 24, verse 50. It says, Jesus, he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and what? Blessed them. And Psalm 134, verse 2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. And by the way, lift up your hands in the sanctuary is in what form? Imperative, which is a command. And where does it say you should lift up your hands? Yeah, it doesn't say in your closet. It says right out in public in the sanctuary. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Lifting up your hands in the Bible represents blessing. In other words, to whoever you lift your hands up, they are going to be blessed. Lift up your hands to the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. And the word blessed means happy. When you read the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed is the one, uh, the man who hungers and thirsts after God. Blessed is the uh, pure in spirit. When it says these things, pure in heart, when it says these, it's saying happy is the man who hungers and thirsts after God. Happy is the man who's pure in spirit. Happy, happy, happy. So when I lift up my hands to the Lord, the Lord is blessed, which means the Lord is happy. And if there's anyone you want to make happy, it's God. It makes him happy when I lift up my hand. For those of you who have children or grandchildren, and you walk in a room, and your child or your grandchild lifts up his hands to you, how does that make you feel? Mad? Sad? Or happy? Happy! That's what it does with the Lord. When we lift our hands to the Lord, it makes the Lord happy. We are blessing Him. This is an amazing truth that I, a human being, can bless God. And it makes me want to all the more lift up my hands to bless Him. I have a friend that was um, pastor of a church and he preached a youth camp. And he said when he preached that youth camp, the Lord kept focusing him on this young lady that was there. 
because she just didn't worship. She was kind of not really excited about the Lord. She was kind of there just to play, and he never got a word for her. He kept thinking the Lord was going to speak something to him, but the Lord kept drawing his attention, but the Lord never said anything to him. But the next year, he goes back to preach the same youth camp, and this young lady's on the front row, and from the time worship started until it ended, and they were worshiped about an hour every night at this youth camp, she held her hands up the whole time, and tears would just stream down her face. And so after three or four nights of this, he talked to her after the service. He said, I noticed you lift your hands up the whole time during worship. Why do you do that? And this is what she said. Well, you see, this last year, my father died. And he was a very affectionate man. And he used to hold me every night. And now I lift my hands up because I want God to hold me. And during worship, I can feel Him holding me. That's why God wants us to express our worship. is so we can actually feel and sense His presence on this earth in a real way. So we've talked about clapping, shouting, Singing, lifting our hands. What was the other one? Bowing down and kneeling. Here's the sixth one. I saved it for last, just for you. Dancing. It's in the Bible. I grew up and I remember an old, old aunt saying, A praying knee and a dancing foot don't belong on the same leg. <laughs> Dancing's wrong. No, dancing ain't wrong. God invented dancing. Are we just going to worship from our waist up? What about from the waist down? Just a little bit of excitement that you've been redeemed from eternal hell to eternal heaven. What about moving your feet a little bit? Well, is it in the Bible? Psalm 149, verse 3. Let them praise His name with the dance. And Psalm 150, verse 4. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. By the way, uh, praise Him with the timbrel and dance is in what form? Oh, imperative. So this isn't a suggestion. This is a command. And and by the way... uh, This is really going to test your grammarian knowledge. What's the subject in this sentence? Not him. That's the object, you. It's an implied subject. You know what this verse says? Hey, you! Praise him with the dance. He's the object of our praise. You praise him with the dance. And look at this scripture, Luke Seven. This blew me away this week. Luke 7, verse 31. And the Lord said, To what shall I liken the men of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. 
We mourn to you, and you did not weep. This is amazing. Jesus himself said, what do I like in this generation? And he's talking to the Jewish people. To what do I like in you? I'll tell you what I like in you. We played the flute for you, you didn't dance. We mourned for you, and you didn't weep. Now listen to me what he's saying. I, this, this, I, I've been waiting for you to get here because this is an amazing revelation. I've been sitting right there all week just waiting for you to get here. I'm kidding. He's talking to the Jews. Do you remember that it was the Gentiles that worshipped him? Yes, the shepherds came. They left. They told everybody. But Israel didn't, didn't come. And the Gentiles came and worshipped him. You know what he's saying to them? We played the flute. You didn't dance. You mourned. You didn't weep. Listen. He's saying, at my birth, when you should have rejoiced, you didn't. And at my death, when you should mourn, you won't. You're going to miss your Messiah. You're missing the time of your visitation. How often, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you under my arms, like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you missed your time of visitation. At my birth, you should have danced. At my death, you should weep, but you're going to miss it. Now, what made it their visitation? I asked two people that this week. I said, what made it their visitation? They both got half of it right. They said, well, Jesus came. So well, that was only half of it. Why it was their visitation. Here's the other half. Yes, Jesus came. The other half was why it was their visitation is they were alive at that time. See, that was the generation living at that time. So listen to me carefully. This is your visitation. This is your chance to walk with the King. You're not going to get another chance. You're not going to live another life. There's no reincarnation. It's appointed unto man once to live, and after that the judgment. You get one chance. This is your visitation. Jesus is here. And you're alive. Now I have a question for you. Are you going to dance when it's time to dance? Are you going to express your worship to Him? This is it. Hey, I have another question for you. What are you doing for God during your visitation? Why waste another five years of your life? Why not get somewhere where God's doing something and get involved and do something for God? This is your visitation. If you're 40 years old, you may only have 40 years left. What are you going to do with your life? This is your visitation. Now, we've talked about expressions of worship. I have a question for you. What validates all of our expressions of worship? Now, listen to me. If you go in a church and they're clapping, singing, shouting, and maybe even running around and hanging from the lights and swinging and all, having a great time, what would validate that? What validates extreme worship is His presence. If you go into church and they're doing all that stuff and you don't sense the presence of God, something's wrong. But you go into church and you see things maybe you've never seen before. See, I grew up in a church that did not express their worship. And the first time I walked into a church of expressive worship, 
I basically stood there like this. You know, I, I mean, I'd never seen it before. But when, I went, when we went to that church, our oldest son, who's 19 now, almost 20, was one. So we go to that church, he's one years old. He grew up in that church. He grew up in a church that expressed worship. When he was about seven years old, he went to his grandparents' home, and he went to church with them. He walked in, and that was a church that didn't express their worship. He walked in and went. I want to raise my children in church that worships God. And I want them to think the ones that don't are weird. Why? Because the Bible tells us to worship God. I have a, a friend of mine, some of you may know Mike and Vivian Hibbert. Vivian teaches all over the world in worship. Vivian's from New Zealand. She's very expressive. And uh, she loves the Queen of England. I don't, know, I don't know why. She has a picture of the queen on her wall. But she loves the queen. And she had a chance one time to see the queen. So she goes down there and there's thousands of people, you know. And Vivian's kind of short. She can't see the queen. It's kind of a Zacchaeus story, you know. She can't see her. And so she's looking around. And finally she's trying to figure out how to see the queen. She turns around and behind her is a trash dumpster. And so she goes back and she climbs up, you know, on the trash dumpster, you know. And when the queen comes by, she shouts, she claps her hand, she waves her hand, she whistles on the trash dumpster. Do you know no one turned around and said, what are you doing? Why? Because the queen was passing. Two reasons. Number one, their eyes were on the queen. Number two, it was appropriate what she was doing. Now, if she went down there the next day, when the queen wasn't passing, climbed up on the trash dumpster, she, woo, and shouted and clapped and waved and sang and danced, it would not be appropriate. But it was appropriate because the queen was passing by. My question for you today is, what are you going to do when the king passes by? And he passes by when his people gather together to worship. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.